All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Elections Weekly. We've got a good show for you here today. We've got some interesting developments in the political world over the last week. Um, we've got uh, some interesting new developments in Pennsylvania. We've got a surprisingly, or not so surprisingly, I would argue, a competitive race in the state of Oregon for governor. Uh, we've got a hurricane bearing down on the entire uh, eastern coast of the United States right now. Uh, and and we're, we're almost a month away from uh, from the elections. Um so we're, I guess we'll go right into it here. Um, let's go ahead and start with probably the big state, which is we're talking about here. Actually, we'll start off real quick. I know we didn't mention this morning, but we'll start with Wisconsin. Um, we, we have been pretty stable on our Senate ratings for a while. We've had basically everything the same for about a couple months now, short of moving Arizona to Leans Democratic, a decision we, we think is pretty justified, uh, given the, the state of that race at the moment, the state of funding, candidate quality, every indication in that race. On the other hand, we have kept uh, Florida, Ohio, North Carolina at likely Republican. Uh, I think we even have Florida at safe Republican. I'm not sure. Uh, we've kept those states out of reach. Uh, we've kept Wisconsin at leans Republican. We kept Pennsylvania at toss-up. Uh, we've kept uh, Georgia, Nevada at toss-up. Um, uh, so basically what we've had right now um, is people have questioned over the last few months what our ratings are, why we've not shifted them. What we've been seeing in the past few weeks is an example of why we've not been changing things uh, because some of the polls, uh, let's put it simply, were not realistic, skewing averages, all sorts of stuff that was simply not going to happen. One pretty clear example of this and one most people could see coming was Wisconsin. Uh, initially, it looked like Barnes had been able to pull this to a, to a competitive race. Polls were showing for a couple of weeks about a relatively tied race. Uh, however, a negative ad blitz from Republicans has since basically dragged Mandela Barnes up. Uh, as underwater as Ron Johnson, if not more so, uh, mainly focusing on crime and on uh, his more liberal policy positions. This seems to have worked uh, because the polls before and after this ad campaign came out have been pretty apparent. Uh, he's been slipping and polls now consistently show Ron Johnson to be ahead, as has happened in every Senate election that Ron Johnson has ever competed in. Um, in that regard, this is not too surprising at all. Um, you know, uh, Ron Johnson is, is notorious for these close elections and for avoiding races he should have otherwise lost. This time, though, was definitely his weakest competitor of the bunch. Um, there's been some stories even coming out recently about Barnes's uh, Twitter account, which is just never good news. Nothing in there is extremely troubling, but what the, what there is there is nothing good. Um, Delete tweets, your for Twitter. example, yeah, tweets saying the 2016 election was rigged, that Trump was a Russian agent, that Steve Steve Scalise took one for the team and isn't opposing gun control or isn't supporting gun control because uh, he opposes his own self-interest. Just a bunch of general tweets that range from questionable to stuff that probably shouldn't be out there. Again, this isn't anything nearly as bad as racial slurs or any other number of things, but it's a, it's a sign of a candidate that was not vetted properly. Uh, Wisconsin Democrats had a very hard time vetting a candidate for this race. They would have loved Ron Kind to jump in, for example. Uh, they had a bunch of a bunch of candidates in the field and Barnes was just kind of the last one standing the last one who was able to put up a competitive, maybe somewhat of a fight. But I think we could all agree. We're pretty, we're seeing the limits of that right now of, of his strategy. I would say it, it was always questionable. I think even when we saw those early polls showing Mandela Barnes up four or five, mm -hmm. I think all of us like, wait, that doesn't, quite sound right like i'm sure that was an accurate reflection of the race at that moment but mm -hmm. the moment is gone 
Um, yeah. Oh, it's clearly gone at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, who knew that when your opponent starts running ads against you and drags a relative, like, I mean, Barnes was a lieutenant governor, but for, for the most part, he was a relatively unknown, unmessaged against individual. And who knew knows that when your opponent <laughs> runs a bunch of negative ads about you and drags your approval ratings down to around his or level or worse, that your polling is going to get bad. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's basically what happens here. What even even whether or not if a poll only shows like a one or two point Johnson lead, uh, what's pretty clear has happened is that Mandela Barnes's approval ratings have absolutely tanked from mm-hmm. uh, the summertime from the summertime you know, late August period. He is now as unpopular as the guy he's running against. That's Which not is not a good sign. Not that's incumbent. not a good sign. That's no, a that's bad not thing. A good you don't want to be there. Yeah, no, you and I think don't want to be there, but yeah. I do think it is funny that, oh, his approval ratings are so terrible. Yeah, they're as bad as the incumbent. Well, yeah. yeah. I do think what's notable here, though, is what has caused this. A lot of the focus feet online is probably about, about Mendel and Barnes being fairly liberal, which he is. He's definitely progressive. He's very, very, very progressive. Um, no doubt about that. What is not what has definitely hit him is the crime stuff. Um, mm. Obviously, Wisconsin hat is was home to the Kenosha riots, uh, which were a fairly major, substantial deal. This is an area of the state that's trending against Democrats anyway. This is an issue they're vulnerable on in Wisconsin in particular, and it's really hurt Mandela Barnes. Um, uh, most of the ads have focused on crime. Most of the ads have focused on prison populations, abolishing, defunding the police, all sorts of stuff that is very, very unpopular with the average voter in a state like Wisconsin. Um, stuff you could get away with in Oregon or in Washington or California, much more difficult to get away to get away with in a state Biden won by tens of thousands of votes instead of millions of votes. I, I do think the messaging around crime is interesting because mm-hmm. it's not the usually the messaging is about something currently going on nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, crime is not really the thing people are talking about outside of these elections there's no mm-hmm. big crime story right now there's no there the articles about how the crime rate is going up aren't coming around uh, coming out right now they came out mm-hmm. a couple of years ago so i think yeah. this is an interesting turn well i think, I think it's, it's, this, it's, is, oh. this is i think kind of i think mm-hmm. you, you know, we're not only seeing this in wisconsin no uh, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this in pennsylvania here shortly when we move on to it but uh, Oz, Mehmet Oz has also uh, seen this line of attack work against John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. It, it seems to be maybe not necessarily a, a sign of what's going on in the world, but kind of a taking of past statements. I, I would say that I wouldn't call either uh, Fetterman or Barnes necessarily part of the Cory Bush wing of very radical, you know, pound the table, defund the policers. But I would say that when that movement, when that kind of idea was starting to pop up in the summer of 2020, both Fetterman and Barnes made statements and made comments to groups that certainly made them seal, you know, seem comfy with the idea. And mm-hmm. it's it's been pretty categorically proven that the the term defund the police was quite arguably one of the worst political slogans to maybe come out of a modern era. I think it's pretty hard to argue that. Right mm-hmm. now, currently, that that's not one of the great mishaps that that messaging was allowed to be pushed out there by activists, uh, and the Democratic Party didn't really do anything in the early onset to reel that in. Uh, you know, I think that's what we're really seeing right here. Is I think 
the, we have two politicians here who straddle the progressive ring pretty solidly and they mosey, move, you know, moseyed on into these uh, groups here and they kind of cozied up to that idea of the fund the police. I think, I think another, a big ad for um, uh, Barnes, we've seen immigration uh, be a really key issue for Republicans and even some independents here. Uh, Barnes, a uh, big ad that's been going around is that Barnes took a picture uh, with a defund ICE, uh, no, abolish ICE, excuse me, abolish ICE t-shirt uh, mm-hmm. that's been going, making its way around the airways in Wisconsin. That's just another. That's a weak, that's a weak attack. You, you could say it's weak, but Immigration is a national issue at this point. It's it. I know. I know. In particular, I, I will. I know Democrats really, really dislike the line "X state is a border state." They're missing the forest for the trees with that quote. What people are saying when they're saying that is that there, there is that the border crisis has basically made every state in the country a border state, even somewhere as far out as Wisconsin or Virginia. Sure. I know is the same thing. Which sure. you, can, you can debate the you can debate the merit of that, but they're not literally saying it's a border state. That of course. And I would debate the merits of that, but regardless, the Mm -hmm. attack that uh, Mandela Barnes took a picture with somebody who says D. No, he he was holding up an abolish. Oh, okay. I thought he took a picture. No, no, no. Like like he was holding. Not that he was taking a picture of someone that had he like he was holding up. Okay, a shirt that had abolish. That's that's slightly that's more potent, but yeah. Hitting him for taking a picture with somebody with that shirt would have been really weak. No, really no. The, the, the attack is that he was he he was holding the shirt uh, that that he had, he was holding the shirt. Yeah, uh, but what him. I do want to mention here with these two is that what's interesting with Barnes for me is, is like you said, Dylan, that this is not focusing on a current crime wave necessarily. This is focusing on a past event which was cheerleaded on by certain individuals and also provoked by individuals on the other side. Um, was generally used as political fodder all around. This is a particularly salient issue for that in Wisconsin, but also the potential is... I think a lot of people are genuinely scared by progressive DAs, progressive uh, prosecutors, Um, and just tying them down with that. I know this is going to go to Pennsylvania with Larry Krasner um, in particular, but I think this is focusing on more potential. This is like the, um, the Willie Horton ad. I mean, granted, the Willie Horton thing was an example of... was was basically pointing out a revolving door of crime or, or... Regardless of of what you think of the merit of the ad, I, there's a lot of debate about whether that ad was was fair, was honest. Uh, certainly, the person who made that ad, Lee Atwater, was not uh, some stellar individual. But this is fo- this is along that line of thing, right? It's not responding to an actual wave of crime. It is arguing that in the future these policies would result in that happening. And the fact that it's working is interesting because usually, usually it's more salient when there's actually something going on, right? When when San Francisco recalled their DA. Um, recalled at Chesa Budin, um, there was an actual crime wave going on in San Francisco. Right. Crime, there crime there was were stories. That was a direct reaction to that. Uh, There's right. not a crime wave going on throughout the state of Wisconsin right now. I, don't, I think those people would probably agree with that. There was an isolated and, riot here or there, but there's not like a massive rise in armed crime throughout the state of Wisconsin at the moment. And, no, and typically these elections are very federalized and there's no there's no like Republicans aren't pushing a crime bill. Democrats aren't pushing a crime bill right now. Mm-hmm. There's no national push to get tough on crime anymore. It's just yeah. weird. It's an interesting. It's an interesting line that's come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the I, again, I'll push on. The reason that you're seeing it continue to happen is because it's working. Uh, it, just just, just on that, the merits alone is that at least in some key states, it is a message that has helped 
lift some Republican candidates who seem to be middling kind of back up where the very, I would say maybe more so in the case of Pennsylvania, dragged the other candidate, dragged the Democratic candidate down. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. It's working. So, I, like, look, if it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If you're a Republican strategist, the crime, the crime line is working. I just, mm-hmm. it's just interesting that it's working. I agree. Right. No, I agree with that because it, it, it doesn't necessarily match up with what we've seen in prior times. It's not, it's not necessarily something we've seen. It's understandable why it worked in 2020 because, again, you had the summer of discontent. You had it was very salient. Very, very salient yeah. issue here. We haven't I, had that in 2022. Especially. So it's, it, it's interesting that maybe we're seeing people have long memories about that. Maybe it's because we had so many people who were staying in their homes and thus saw all of that that was happening. This is me just spitballing here. I have no statistical data to back that up. But maybe why you're seeing it being more salient issues because of what was happening at that time, uh, just going off the pandemic, the fact that we had a lot of people who were still relatively in their homes. I mean, this was this was summer of 2020, so this wasn't the summer of 2021 when things really started to open up. Uh, 2020, still obviously, you know, you didn't have any summer sports going on. There was no baseball. Uh, the the uh, bubble NBA and NHL hadn't started yet. So really, when uh, those were going on in response to the murder of George Floyd, those riots, mm-hmm. what pe- that's what people had to watch. Like, that's, that's what was there to watch at that time. So I'm wondering if that, I, again, there's, there's no statistical data for me to back this up. I'm sure I will have someone in the comments or, or here throw this back on me, but I wonder if it's become more salient because people have a longer memory of what was going on in 2020 because they were maybe paying more attention than because of just the circumstances of the world around them at the time. It was mm-hmm. a very, maybe has allowed this hit of tough of crime and concern over progressive values on crime becoming more uh, long-term target hit. Uh, compared mm-hmm. to maybe where it was in the past. I mean, I, I suppose that's that. I mean, that makes sense. I I still don't see why it's more salient than any of the things happening right now. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's like you said. I think it's a very for whatever reason it's become a salient issue among the Republican base. And for whatever reason, it's hitting with independence. If you if you look yeah. at issue polls, independent crime is one of usually one of independence top two or three issues. So I, I mm-hmm. think it, it's something that should be investigated. It should be talked about. It's certainly I think we all agree at the very least that it's very interesting that when there we do not have this crime, we don't have a crime wave happening throughout America or really necessarily really in America's biggest cities, but to Republicans and I, I certainly more crucially to independents, it is a salient issue right now that mm-hmm. is a issue that is in within both of those groups' top three. But mm-hmm. but I do think you're onto something with it being candidate specific because JD Vance isn't well. He's not doing much to go at Tim Ryan, but he's not using crime either. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that would require JD Vance to campaign. But it's still. also hard. But it's also harder to cast Tim Ryan as an anti-police radical, given he's not called for abolishing the police or defunding the police 
or is not associated with people that would do that. I would generally. say I would say more so that he's not associated with that movement. I, I, I would I would I don't I obviously I don't like Mandela Barnes or John Fetterman. My personal politics, obviously, aside there, I would not say that they were again. I would not call him as part of the Cory Bush wing, who of the activists who were very again pound mm-hmm. the table, abolish the police. Uh, but I would again say that, that with the relations they made and some of the comments they made in that post early summer 2020 period, it may it, there are videos and it very much makes them seem like that they were at least comfortable with that phrase and they were comfortable with that movement. I think that's what's really coming back to hit them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about Pennsylvania now. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go ahead and go on to Pennsylvania, which is probably the more interesting of the two because Fetterman. Barnes is mostly being attacked for comments. Fetterman, most of the ads the Oz is doing about Fetterman are about a record. Um, Lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania is not a particularly strong job, as far as I can tell. It's pretty limited. It's. Um, I mean, but- it, it, I, I would get it, it. It hasn't been strong because we haven't had a tied Senate in decades. Mm-hmm. But uh, obvi- unlike a lot of other lieutenant governors, uh, it's more like Virginia's in which it does preside over the state Senate. So mm-hmm. there is some power uh, given to it that yeah. way, but because uh, of, because of this because of this limited power, though Fetterman has had to when he's trying to make himself a statewide figure, he's had to focus on the few things the lieutenant governor can do. One of them is the parole board, uh, which he's he is the chair of, I believe, as the lieutenant governor. Um, he mm-hmm. has made a heavy focus on reforming uh, Pennsylvania's laws regarding murder, specifically second degree murder. Uh, Pennsylvania is a state where you can have li- mandatory life in prison for second degree murder, um, which is a, to be clear is is a is unusual among other states. Most states do not have an option for mandatory life without parole for second degree murders. Fetterman has been heavily focusing his his efforts as lieutenant governor on appealing cases, on voting for parole for people who for convicted uh, felons and convicted murderers. Um, to be clear, who in other states would be entitled to some form of parole in all likelihood. Um, this has been a very strong political liability, though, if these if these attack ads from Dr. Oz are working and they appear to be dragging down his favorability to some degree. Uh, yes. Specifically, they're, they're pointing out specific examples of murderers that John Fetterman voted to offer parole to. And in a vacuum, um, like you know, running an ad saying John Fetterman voted to give parole to a guy who murdered someone with garden shears, uh, that's that's a pretty strong message. It's also one Fetterman can't really go out against without going into the, in the specific details of why this person uh, deserves parole. I'm not sure if this is an entirely fair line of attack. I will say though Fetterman has, he has a record here. He is certainly, this is open to criticism. Um, it's not unusual for these people to be getting parole, but Oz has been able to use this very effectively to leverage that. It's, he's also been able to use Fetterman's association with more radical elements, specifically one member that he appointed uh, one person he appointed to his staff is a noted advocate for for, for Mamiya Abu Jamal, who murdered a police officer in uh, Philadelphia and has since been a fugitive from the law in Cuba, and for some reason has become a cause de celeb- celebrity uh, among the left as a political prisoner for some reason. Um, the, the, again, this guy murdered. Uh, it's pretty unequivocal that he murdered a police officer, um, and he then was convicted. He fled the country, and I've is literally- the other one. I've literally never heard of this case before. So it's a very it's a, it, thing. It's, it's a big it's a very big deal in Philadelphia. It's a big enough deal in Philadelphia that um that Bob Casey voted against if you remember um do you remember Debo Adegbile? Uh Barack Obama appointed him, former hey. President Obama appointed him to be an attorney 
um, in that area. Republican opposition to this nominee was almost entirely focused on the fact that he had provided legal counsel to Mamiya Abu-Jamal, and it was not mandatory counsel. It was counsel that he chose to offer. This criticism is potent enough in the Philadelphia area that, uh, that Chris Coons voted against confirming him and Bob Casey voted against confirming him. The nomination was indeed, indeed, indeed sunk in large part because of Democrats who could not stomach that. So that case in particular is a very, very, very big deal in Philadelphia still to a lot of, a lot of more unaffiliated swingy voters around there. But regardless of the, of the merits of these attacks, they are working. Um, and Fetterman has not come up with an answer for them. I think that's unequivocally well, clear from the polling. You're not seeing those Fetterman plus 15 plus 11 polls. Almost no. everything has been within the, the realm of reason, I would call it, which is two to five points for Fetterman right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the polls have come down to earth a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody thought Fetterman was going to win by 11 or 12 or 15. I think other than some very online people, I would agree with that. <laughs> um, so I, I still think he's favored. Um, Oz hasn't led in a poll yet. So I think that's, that's a problem. It, that is a problem. That is a sign <laughs> that you are still winning when your opponent has not yet led in a poll. Not um, even Trafalgar. <laughs> not even Trafalgar. Is that actually how you say their name? I have no idea. Trafalgar. Trafalgar. I thought of Trafalgar. I don't know. I, this is I, a southern I, thing, right here, Dylan. We see we we northeasterners uh, don't speak. We speak with calmness and assertiveness and a certain class. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> and okay, so uh, look, I don't like the attacks. I uh, personal politics aside, I think I the attacks are working. Um, whether they're fair or not, I don't think they are. They're working. And the reason Fetterman hasn't come up with an answer is precisely the reason you gave. The answer requires him to go into detail. The answer requires him to do a one-to-one -one response, which is not realistic. That's not mm -hmm. how you want to campaign. Um, there's really no other... There's no good... like. There's no good answer to that attack because the the act you, you, speaks for yeah. itself. The reform you, the reform you, you want speaks for itself. Yeah, you can't respond to the you can't respond in thirty seconds to the claim that you voted to pardon you voted to give someone parole who murdered someone with the garden shears. It's just not possible. Um, no. And you wouldn't want to run that ad to begin with. That would be a horrible idea for a campaign ad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be like the lady in Delaware who ran the I Am Not a Witch ad. <laughs> oh, the Not a Witch ad. God bless you. God bless I mean, like, there's no winning. There's not a winning God, situation man. here, I don't think. No. Well, it's just a losing I, issue. I, I, would, I would add on to this here is that uh, looking back a year to 2021, you have to remember that one of uh, Glenn Youngkin's stronger attacks and applause lines uh, in his run for governor was attacking the fully Ralph Morfam appointed parole board of uh, that. Mm -hmm. Again, I think, I think some would argue maybe unfairly uh, really kind of attack certain votes they had uh, as a parole board. That was, that was a legit, I was surprised. I remember when I went to one of his rallies in uh, the Henrico area, I was down there for uh, a, a CRFV thing. Uh, we went to his rally in Henrico. I was very surprised. I knew the parole board would be one of the lines. I was very surprised about how salient that issue was. That was one of the louder applause lines of the night was when he would say, I am going to fire every member of the parole board because of some of the votes these folks have taken. Uh, 
it's an interesting thing that for whatever reason, when you bring up the idea of parole board, made this this a again, no statistical data for me to back this up, but again, this this might be a throwback of cop shows here where for whatever reason, because cop shows uh, have talked about parole boards and stuff before, that it might be something that people know about, not very much, but they know what it is and they know what it does. Uh, you know, I think it's, an, again, it's one of those things where the people say, oh, he tried to give this. It's a very clear, simple thing. It's like, oh, he vote, they voted to give this person parole. That, that seems kind of screwy to me. I don't necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily know the reasoning behind it or the what and why of the case, but mm. they say, oh, this guy killed someone, but they decided to, he decided to vote to give him parole. You know, what the heck's going on there? Mm-hmm. You know, that's all that needs to be said. And I think that's really why this line is sticking because it's a very, very, very simple line of attack. It is. That, mm-hmm. that, that I think is the key here is that it's a very, very simple line of attack from the Oz campaign on the Fetterman campaign said this again, no, no, no degree, no type of degree that come with it. No, how or why of the, why the case was on the parole board. But basically it was John Fetterman voted to give a person who committed murder parole on the parole board. And he was the only vote to do so. That's bad. He would be a bad Senator because of it. And he would be weak on crime in the Senate. If it would come down to a federal mm-hmm. issue on crime. Yeah. Can't and unlike, yeah, very, very, it, yeah. very simple line here for where it's going to work, and I think that's, uh, I think that's also maybe partially why these crime attacks succeed and maybe you've become more salient because it's become very, very simple. It's very, very simple line. It's not a complicated line of attack when you mm-hmm. go after, it. and I think that's why we see it work a lot. Yeah. And, and, and unlike Wisconsin, to be clear, uh, there is someone they can very specifically attack and, and target him with, which is Larry Krasner, who is pretty much loathed, as far as I can tell by everyone outside of the city of Philadelphia, for his oh. policies. Uh, this is someone who Luckily, uh, he's is only generally associated Philly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the DA for Philadelphia. Um, he's enacted some changes to the system there that have been uh, controversial, to say the least. He did win re-election, of course, in, in, in that city, but... The legislature in particular, I know there were a number of Democrats that voted, what was it, to investigate or to remove him from office even? Um, like, this is an issue, like, well, you could do time with something like that. That is something you can actually point to as, like, an actual person, an actual figure that is unpopular in outside of a certain Democratic circle that you can point to and say he is like that guy. Uh, that There's not someone like that in Wisconsin as far as I know. There, there right. Isn't. Like, I think the only the only thing Fetterman – could really say and it's not a particularly good response but it's the only one that really fits would be how you explained it at the beginning that pennsylvania is the only state to not do this mm-hmm. but yeah, to be clear, like most states you cannot get like as far as i can tell most states you cannot get life in prison for a single case of second degree murder that's not very common um so from so if you're if you're looking at it from that perspective, he's pushing towards a more normal system of parole. If you're right. looking at it the other way, you could certainly argue though that that more states should have this. Uh, that that would be the alternative position. I imagine that would be one that would be in a vacuum, fairly popular with a number of voters. I, um, I don't I don't disagree that it would probably be popular, but mm-hmm. if you, I, I just I wonder how you counter this if you're Fetterman because mm-hmm. I don't think. I, the the one thing he shouldn't do is apologize for it. Say he was wrong. <laughs> yes. To do it. 
No. Don't do that. Don't say the you thing were is, wrong. Yeah. A, I don't think you were, but B, bad politics. <laughs> mm-hmm. The thing is, he can't he can't go with this in an ad, and if he's going to do it in a debate, like, you got 30 seconds to a minute to respond. He probably will take a little bit longer to give his answer than many other people would in that position, which makes it even more difficult to formulate an actually decent response to that time period. It's just an issue I think he would rather avoid. Um, and I don't blame him. There are more salient, there are yeah. more, it, there are more uh, potent attacks he can use. Right. But more specifically for, for Pennsylvania to get back to it is, is the, the fundamentals of this race. We've known the entire time that Mehmet Oz has struggled heavily with Republican voters. He's still very unpopular with a number of voters who identify as Republicans. There's two ways that he can win this race. The first way is to drive up his approvals with those Republican voters to a normal position. I think he's like it's something like most polls show him about 36 to 38 percent favorability. I don't know if that's enough to win, but it's if that could get up to 44, 45, that's Ron Johnson territory. That's much yeah. more doable. Yeah. The alternative is to drag Fetterman down to his level of popularity, which seems to be the approach he's taking. Um, well, I think I think Oz has realized that he is just not likable to the people in the state. Like the, the voters just don't like I, him. I would say there's like a third tactic to lose too, in which he has done a very, very clear separation from what is a collapsing uh, Doug Mastriano campaign. Yeah. Uh, he, Can we he, even he, call it a campaign at this point? No, I don't care to call it a campaign. Whatever, whatever <laughs> it is, the Don Mastriano gubernatorial, whatever, uh, whatever. I would say that Oz is. A, I would say done a good job. I say this without trying to limit my partisan bias here, but I would say that Oz has done a legitimately good job of dividing a very, very clear line to I think, or at least a messaging line to uh, vote. So at least key amounts of voters that probably very wishy-washy on Mastriano, who probably don't like Joe Biden, don't like, uh, maybe don't even like Josh Pierre all that much, but very, uh, very much probably don't like Doug Mastriano either. Well, uh, very much a messaging here that says it's cool to vote. And it's worked for him, I'd say, in some ways, too. Obviously, you've mm-hmm. seen some divisions within police unions recently uh, that they've in dual endorsed uh, Shapiro and Oz. The more interesting one to me, Tom Rich. Uh, I know a lot of you are like, oh, just, you know, guy who hasn't even been in government. I, Rich is still very, especially among the old guard in the main line, Rich is still very much a well-known figure. This is a guy who was very high popularity when he left as governor. A lot of people still know who he is, still has pretty high name recognition in the state. Uh, mm-hmm. And among moderate Republicans, has been a very, very, very popular figure to write in uh, for races that they feel not necessarily represented by. Uh, to people I've talked to, uh, not myself, but people I've talked to, though, uh, that's a sign to those voters, I think, again, specifically in the main line, that it is okay to vote for Oz and Shapiro, or leave your ballot blank to vote for Oz, vote mm-hmm. for the libertarian, vote for Oz. I think we're going to see that. And I don't know if it's going to be enough, but I think at the very least we're going to see it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I think it's I think it's less that Oz has drawn that line and more there is no line to draw because that implies that Mastriano has done a good job of defining clearly who he is and running mm-hmm. an effective messaging campaign. Yeah, to be clear, like 
to say Mastriano is running a campaign, I don't think he even can. He's basically called for like 40 days of prayer and fasting, which is just a candidate. Is is a bad sign. That's a very yeah, that's, bad that's sign. Like a bad thing to be cheering <laughs> on, doesn't it? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Your food budget is not going to make up for the fact that you've only spent like $4,000 on TV. Isn't that what Martha McSally called for too before she got slapped by yes. Mark Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that is what she called for. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. With with Mastriano <laughs> is that he's broke. <laughs> he has no the man has no money. The packs are not going to give him any money. I, I keep hearing things about the like the this fabled like pivot that Doug Mastriano has had like had in the summertime. He didn't have a pivot. He just wasn't saying anything. He was just saying anything <laughs> stupid. That's all it was. There was no pivot. I, yeah, it's silence, not a pivot. He's, silence he's, is less crazy than yeah, what he was saying, though. Yeah, to imply this is a pivot instead of just a man voluntarily withdrawing into his house is just. I mean, I mean we saw how the basement, uh, the basement campaign worked well for Cal Cunningham. Hooray! <laughs> it's historically like, sexy. It's All he had to do was just take that phone away, and it, if. <laughs> I, I still think if Cal didn't have that affair, he would have won that race on the basement strategy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to mention, though, um, one thing in particular. Uh, you mentioned Tom Ridge. Um, uh, another aspect which I think will be interesting to watch, and I caution against any sort of thing that's any sort of argument along these lines. Just just like I, I caution Democrats who are like, we can win in this rural area. We're putting a lot of rural outreach here. We've got a rural organization that's going to pull, and then they don't get anything from it. Oz is trying to win over urban voters. As in, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. No. Uh, but yeah, I've seen that. I don't it's think nice that's that he's doing it. I, I think yeah. that's what I, that's what I'd say. It's every like, every nice candidate should try. It. Every candidate yeah. should try to win over every voter. Yes, um, I do appreciate and, that. I do, and for that matter, Fetterman is trying to win over rural voters. I do appreciate that both candidates are trying to win over every voter in the state at this point. That's a that's yeah. a generally good thing. Do I think it's yeah. gonna, do I think there's gonna be a bunch of Fetterman Trump voters in Beaver County, there uh, or in Erie or in uh, Lancaster or somewhere? I don't know. We're just the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. That's like I love Trump, but I'm also on board for John Fetterman. Probably not. No, um, you'll see that in Ohio. You probably won't see that in Pennsylvania. Yeah, same thing with. But it will be interesting to see if the margins do change at all, given the weakness among Black voters that Fetterman did have in the primary election, which was a noticeable. A shifter, but again, that, that's all speculation. I do want to see how this how this pulls out, and also how Fetterman pulls with more rural voters, because Oz has a very clear vulnerability among Republican voters uh, across the state, and it's coming from somewhere. But before we do go off, I do want to go over uh, Oregon, which is I think one of the more interesting races. People have really started cluing in on the fact that this is compet this is a competitive race in a competitive state right now. I'm not sure why we've had this as a toss up for like a month or two. Um, I point this out every opportunity. Uh, Oregon Democrats are basically capped at 52% of the vote, 51% of the vote in gubernatorial races. Um, the last, the last, so basically, if you go back to 19, 1986, which is the last 10 gubernatorial elections, um, Oregon Democrats have gotten over 51% of the vote exactly twice in 1986 and in 1998. The last Four elections they've had, 50.1%, 50.6%, 49.9%, 49.3%, even in 2006, 50.7%. Basically, Oregon is a tip, is a very, very stable state at this point in gubernatorial races where Democrats tend to win, and they win fairly narrowly. They don't win by large margins. They don't get over 51% of the vote. 
So the fact that this race is competitive should not be surprising to most people, I think, because if you look at the history of the state, like Washington, they have a history of competitive gubernatorial races, um, even if this, even comparing to the state's lean statewide. What is different this time is two things. One is there's an independent candidate this time, uh, Betsy Johnson, who uh, is polling about 18 to 20 percent of the vote in most polls. I think one of the more recent ones had her at 15 percent. We do expect this to go down like with most independent candidates. Um, we don't know who Johnson is pulling from more, which is the weird thing. She is a former Democrat who was a moderate to conservative Democrat in the legislature, but still a Democrat. She still had a voting record that was mostly with Democrats, but she did vote with Republicans on some things like some um, logging issues, gun control, a bunch of other issues that are more culture or more specific to the Senate district she represented. She was so popular in this district. She actually won the Republican primary as a write-in in 2018, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um Again, that, that's like Peter Welch levels of popularity, um, which is pretty hard to get. Um, but her campaign, even though she's a Democrat, her, her campaign's focus, which is on uh, crime, on a bunch of other issues that specifically you would think would appeal to more Republican voters, is interesting. The other thing is the looming unpopularity of Kate Brown. Kate Brown is, by most accounts in polling, the least popular governor in the country. Um, the, the second least popular is the governor of Hawaii, which should be no surprise. Hawaii never likes their governors. Um, oh, I think Dylan went away for a second. Uh, but the governor of the Hawaii never likes their governors, but they still elect them by large margins. Uh, Brown is very, very unpopular. We're talking 55 to 40 uh, disapproval numbers, um, which are pretty, I mean, again, being 15 points underwater in a state like Oregon's not a good sign. Um, obviously, uh, Tina Kotek, who is the ha former House Speaker for Oregon, she resigned to run for governor. Same thing as Christine Drazen, who is the Republican, uh, resigned her House seat, and Betsy Johnson resigned her Senate seat. All of them are out of government right now. Um, Kotek is very heavily tied with Brown. She advanced Brown's legislative agenda, and Brown is not very popular. This is what both Johnson and uh, Drazen are hitting her on. And if you look at the polling right now, again, the last... There's been a surprising number of polls, almost all of them internals, granted, but we've not seen any Democratic internals, which is interesting. Uh, the last two, the last four polls, uh, Clout Research, DHM Research, Nelson Research, and then Clout Research, these are small pollsters that don't have a huge name, but then there was also Signal, uh, had Christine Drazen 39 to 35 over Kotek, including 53 to 47 in a two-person race. DHM had uh, Drazen up 32 31. Uh, Nelson had Christine Drazen up 33 to 32. Clout had 35 to 33. And then back in J June, Signal had at 32-31. Um, pretty much the, all the polls are showing that both of the major candidates are in the mid at the mid to high 30s. And Johnson's polling around 18 to 20%. Um, the other thing I mentioned before we go into the panel discussion real quick is the Oregon's legislature is actually competitive, which is kind of strange. Uh, Kotek made the unusual decision to legislatively compromise with Republicans in exchange for a gerrymander that would draw, that would make an additional Democratic leaning seat. Um, it's a still state Republicans could in a good year win three districts. Um, but the, the map was drawn in a way to favor Democrats in five seats and Republicans in one. In exchange for that, she gave Republicans a very, very competitive, somewhat arskewing map, in fact, in the legislature. Uh, the median seats in both the House and the Senate are lower than Biden's margin of victory. Um Right now, uh, we had rated the state Senate earlier this year as a, as a as lean Democratic. C Analysis, who is partnering with this Decision Desk HQ for state legislative coverage this year, has the House as tilts Democratic and the Senate as leans Democratic. Switch, I'll be switch, switch, switch it, switch it. Oh, wait, which one? Other way around. 
Oh, sen- sorry. Senate is Tulsa Democratic. House is Leans Democratic. Yes. We would be surprised if either of these flip. But right now they are very competitive. And there is a non-zero chance Republicans have to affect it in Oregon, which would be very bizarre. So I'm just going to throw it here. What are your thoughts about this Oregon situation? Do you think – I mean this is kind of been Lucy in the, foot- Lucy in the football with Republicans for the better part of three decades now where it's competitive every time and then they lose by a narrow margin. and then But you'll get, you'll get them next time, and they've never gotten them. What are your thoughts here, I guess? Uh, I think we're headed for that same scenario again. Um, <laughs> I just can't imagine. Uh, I'm sorry. What's the independent's name? Betsy Johnson. Betsy Johnson. Yep. I can't imagine Betsy Johnson pulling 20% for mm-hmm. the rest of the race. Mm-hmm. And for uh, context, her district, her district is the, is a kind of neglected portion of Oregon. It's that Northeastern corner or northwestern corner of the state. Um, those three counties, two counties that tend to be more along the coast, uh, rural logging communities, along with some more democratic-leaning portions towards Portland, the Portland suburbs. Um, so she has a base. I don't think she gets 20%. I really don't think that. But even if she only gets 10, I don't know if that's a huge difference in the race. We don't know who she's pulling from. That's the problem. Right. Right. Uh- and I have a feeling, I have a feeling she's pulling more from Republicans, but that's just a feeling. Um, mm-hmm. She's only been introduced, uh, uh, endorsed rather by, uh, I think she's been intru- endorsed by Kurt Schrader. Yeah, she's been endorsed by Gordon Smith, who's the former Republican senator, the last Republican senator elected from the state of Oregon. Oh, and most oh. of her donors are big name Republicans or Republican leaning donors. Right. So I tend to think that it's, Republicans who are supporting her right now. Mm -hmm. But if those Um, numbers, but if that's the case, if those numbers go down and she gets down to 10 or 5%, would those voters not likely be going back to Republicans? That's the confusing bit. They might. I I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell who would be favored. I just don't think Betsy Johnson is going to pull 20% Mm -hmm. by the end of this. Yeah. I I think we're all in agreement. I don't know if uh, Joe's probably in agreement. Well, I mean, yeah. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, the, Oregon, though, for me, culturally, is a weird enough state. That it I, is weird. That I could see, it's a state that I could see them giving, and, and it's never happened before, but at, at this point, it's a state culturally that with the approvals that Brown has, it is a weird enough state where I could see people deciding to give 15% to an independent candidate. That's I mm-hmm. think if she I think if Johnson stays above double digits, that's when we could really see some interesting things happen. I would say mm-hmm. I would even say high single digits. That's when we're really talking could see an interesting scenario here. I don't necessarily yeah. know if we'll get there, but I I this is a very very fascinating race to me. And I think, again, the governor's races are weird where they they have sometimes been much more tied to the governor's approval rating than necessarily the lean of the state and even the national environment. Mm -hmm. That's why. And I I think that's where we're really seeing it hit Oregon Democrats here. mm -hmm. And the fact is that Kate Brown is just, I mean, to hit over 50% disapproval. In Oregon, in Oregon. A Democratic governor, that yeah, seems impressive good. to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep in mind, Oregon is a state that gave Ralph Nader 5% of the vote. Bush almost won Oregon in 2000 because of that Nader support. It also gave in 2008 David Bronlow, a Constitution Party nominee, 5.2% of the vote in a race that Gordon Smith lost by 3.3%. That's what we call an own goal um, in, in sports is uh, voting for the Constitution Party candidate to own the libs and then turning out you get rid of your senator, uh, who's a Republican. Um but Oregon, again, this is a state Republicans have a pretty firm floor federally around 40% of the vote. Um, uh, Trump got forty uh, got 39% of the vote in 2020, got 40% in 2024. Romney got 42. Uh, McCain got 40%. Basically, statewide Republicans tend to get 40 to 45% of the vote. Democrats have a higher seal, uh, have a, a state, but this is a state where basically both sides, I think Nate Silver years ago said that Oregon had the most liberal liberals and the most conservative conservatives in the country. That sounds right. Middle, I would agree with that. In the middle, that sounds are, right. Yeah, in the middle are very suburban voters who vote more in line with what you would expect, something like say Riverside County or San Bernardino County in California, where they lean Democratic, but they can be persuaded to vote for a Republican candidate. But you need to win a lot of them, and you need to win them by a big margin. Um, the challenge here, I guess, for all the candidates is one. Uh, Drazen needs to consolidate the Republican vote. Uh, Kotek needs to find a way to separate herself from Kate Brown. I don't know what Kate Brown has done to make her so unpopular. I'm, I'm genuinely bewildered by this because, like, she's not as far she as I can tell. She seems fairly normal. Yeah, she seems like a fairly normal Democrat. Like, I know there's some crime problems in Portland, but that's not her fault. Um, no. The environmental policies that she's wanted have seemed fairly popular to most Oregon voters. Um, Again, federally, Republicans tend to do about five points better statewide in Oregon than they do in and in Washington, for that matter, gubernatorial races than they do federally. Republicans won a statewide race in 20, uh, 2014. Or sorry, uh, Dennis Richardson won a statewide race in Oregon. Um, I believe it was for Secretary of State or Attorney General in 2014. Um, Republicans can win in Oregon. It's just a very big challenge for them to do so. Um, and then again, who Johnson pulls from. Johnson is a former Democrat. She voted mostly with Democrats. She was a pain in their side. But again, she's a Democrat from Oregon. Um, Republican donors seem to like her more than they like Drazen. But also, not a lot of other endorsements are coming her way. And most independent candidates tend to go down. I'd be interested, though, to see, one, does Johnson win her former Senate district? That'd be a pretty big, that'd be a pretty big indicator. This could be a Tim Penny situation where Tim Penny, I'm pretty sure, narrowly won his uh, his house district, his former house district, when he ran for governor with the Independence Party in Minnesota in 2002. Um, mm-hmm. I'm keeping a very close eye on this, though. Again, it's Oregon. It, it is it is very difficult to, to suggest Republicans in Oregon can, can win statewide, especially when they have a utter garbage nominee for Senate, um, which is just a complete liability on their end. But everything I, we're seeing I didn't on know the Joe everything Penn we're, was running for Senate. No, no, no. It's uh, the QAnon lady, Joanne Perkins. <laughs> I know I was kidding, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think people should be as surprised that it's competitive. That's what yeah. people seem to be confused by is they're saying is it, I think these are people who have just look at the presidential top line results, see Biden plus 16 and assume that the generic partisan lean of Oregon is Biden is Democrat plus 16. Really, it's not, um, especially at a statewide level. Um, you know, this is a state where Kate Brown got 50 percent of the vote in 2018. Um which is a really, really good year for Democrats. Our Republicans had a good nominee there, but still, you would expect a better performance. So I'm interested in Oregon. I'll be shocked if either of the legislature slip. Honestly, like I mentioned in my article at Elections Daily, 
it's more likely the Senate is tied than flips. If it's tied 15 to 15, uh, that means there's going to be a power sharing agreement, which is in and of itself a win. Uh, there's no lieutenant governor in Oregon, uh, which means there's no tiebreaker. So you need to figure out a power sharing agreement between both sides, which uh, would be sharing. really interesting to see. The power yeah, but sharing at minimum, agreement is we let rural Oregon go to Idaho like they've always wanted. <laughs> but at minimum, yeah, what it means time, is, baby, but at minimum, it means time. At minimum, it would mean it would mean a it would mean a progressive agenda in Oregon would be probably dead for the next two two years at minimum. Um, would be what a split Senate would be like. If there's from awesome, there's some odd chances for effect. You could see a bunch of really weird crap going on in Oregon. I will say that. Um, if there's some ultra effect, which would be very unexpected, but it's. More likely than I would say, it's more likely what happened in Oregon than Minnesota. Certainly, at this point, uh, Minnesota seems increasingly out of reach. Or Michigan, uh, which again should not be a surprise. Minnesota, Minnesota is much more democratic down ballot than it is up ballot. Um, but regardless, then we kind of rambled on a bit enough about these states. Um, uh, that's probably all the time we have for tonight. So I'm just going to go ahead and um, uh, close it off for the night. If you like what we're doing, be sure to like and subscribe to Elections Daily. We really appreciate your support. We've uh, your support has enabled us to have our uh, to to grow to where we are to have these amazing stuff on the website like the election shuffler, which you have new and improved, updated with some really cool new features. New England townships, a better color scheme, uh, presidential results from previous elections, really good stuff. Um, also, we're uh, for uh, as a notice for for readers, we're going to be going to weekly updates for election results for the last four weeks of this election cycle. Uh, we're shifting from a bi-weekly to weekly for this last month, so you can look forward to that. Um, you can find us on Twitter at D.E. Cunningham 2, at Joseph, Joseph Szymanski, and at Dylan W. Brown 1. You can find us at electionsdaily.com or elections-daily.com and elections underscore daily on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitch. We're on uh, YouTube. All sorts of places you can listen to us from podcast platforms. Wherever you're doing it, really appreciate your support. Be sure to spread the word if you like what we're doing. But with that, we'll close off for tonight. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week for next week's editions of Elections Weekly.